Welcome to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast with author and birth coach Alexia Leachman. Listen to mums share their positive birth stories, birthing experts sharing their wisdom, and Alexia as she shares her tips, tools, and techniques to help you prepare for a fear free birth. If you have birthing fears you want to clear, Alexia has created a free three part video series showing you exactly how you can clear your childbirth fears. Head over to www.fearfreechildbirth.com and sign up today. And now it's time for the show. Well, hello and welcome back to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. Here we are in season two. How are you doing? Well, I'm so pleased to be back and I've got a cracking episode to kick off season two for you today. Today, I'm going to be talking to Tony Harmon. Now, Tony is the filmmaker behind the film Microbirth and the film Doula. And she's also the author behind the book Microbiome, which explores the main theme behind the film, which is microbirth. So she is a real birth ninja specialist, whatever you want to call it. She knows so much about birth and she's been working with filming some of the birthing greats that you know well, such as Ina May and Sheila Kitzinger and all that good stuff. So she is a real treasure trove in terms of somebody to chat to all about birth today. But before I dive into that brilliant interview that I have with her, I have got loads to share with you, things that I've been getting on with since I've been away. So let me just tell you some of the things that I'd love to update you on before we dive into my chat with Tony. Now, as you know, at the end of the last season, I was asking you for ideas about sponsorship because I really want to look for sponsors for the podcast. And Amanda emailed me and told me all about Patreon. Now, Patreon is like a crowdfunding platform for content creators. So content creators like me who do podcasts and and it enables podcast listeners to support their favourite podcast. So that means you can just pay a little bit of money every month to support the show. So I decided to set up a Patreon account. And Amanda, being the superstar that she is, has already pledged her support, as has Sean. So thank you so much, Amanda and Sean, for pledging your support on my Patreon account page for the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. Now, if you'd like to pledge your support, there is a link that's going to be in the show notes for today's episode. You can go over to the Patreon website and just look for my profile, which is Alexia L, all one word. You can see it all there. I've got various levels of support and rewards that I give you. For If you want to give a little bit of extra, then there's stuff that I give you back. So it is a really great idea. And I much prefer this idea to sponsors because I love the idea of you guys being involved in the podcast and having a say. So please do support the podcast. I would really, really appreciate it. Having your Patreon support would really help me to do a lot more with the podcast. It would mean that I could get help with doing various bits of the podcast, notably the technical stuff, like the editing stuff and all that kind of thing, but also to help me get really great guests because that means I could get some admin support and people to help me book some really great people on, do the research that's needed and just bring you more great content to help you to prepare for your birth. At the moment, I'm just so limited with all that kind of stuff because I have to earn money as well. I've got to do work stuff. I've got to generate money for my business and I've got to focus on that side. So I'm just not able to give all the time I really liked the podcast. So I have to find, you know, I've got to balance things up. I've got two mouths to feed. So this is going to help me to ensure that the podcast can keep going and I can give it and make it 
you know, keep it as good as it is for you and, and keep giving you stuff that you're going to want to listen to. So it would really mean a lot to me. But that's not to say that I don't want spo- sponsors. I am still looking for sponsors as well. So if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, then do get in touch with me here at the show at Alexia at fearfreechildbirth.com. Okay, so that is one of the exciting things that I've got done since I've been away. Now, the other thing is I've launched my online program to help you to prepare for a fear-free birth. It's the Fearless Birthing Academy, and you can find out all about that at the Fearless Birthing Academy website, which is fearlessbirthing.academy. And also I have a link for you in the podcast show notes today. Now, the other thing that I really want to share with you as well is I've set up a private Facebook group for listeners of the podcast. And this means that you can dive in with questions and ask me stuff, ask each other stuff, and just generally share some really great stuff to help you to stay away from all that fear-mongering, scary stuff that you might see elsewhere on the internet. Because when you're pregnant, the internet could be pretty horrid when it comes to making you fearful about your birth. So I want to create a little safe place for you on Facebook where you can come and get the support that you need and have a vent if you need to and get some well-balanced research, good blog posts, that kind of thing. We've got some brilliant birth experts already in the group. So if you need to ask questions and you want to speak to a doula, you want to ask a question to a breastfeeding counsellor or whatever it is, we've got people in there that can answer your questions. So if you want to have access to the Facebook group, then just sign up to be part of the Fear Free Childbirth community at the Fear Free Childbirth website and you'll get your invite into the group. And it's as easy as that. So come and join us. And we're also going to be holding a special chat with Tony, the director that I'm talking to in a little while uh, in the Facebook group as well. So if you just get your details, sign up and then you can join in and ask Tony questions as well. So it's all really, really great. It's just going to be a brilliant way for you to communicate, get support from other mamas that are exactly in the same position as you. I This is just, I don't know why I didn't do this before, to be honest. I really don't know why. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? And finally, I've got a hello before I kick off. I'm going to say hello to Aubrey. She is a fan of the podcast and she is be, she is due any day. So I hope the little one is still snug and tight inside and that is going to make a safe appearance earthside, Aubrey. I wish you all the best with your birth. Okay, so are you ready? Now I'm going to hand over to the time that I spoke to Tony Harmon, who's the author and filmmaker behind Microbiome and the film Microbirth. I hope you enjoy it. Well, hello, Tony, and welcome to the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. It's a, yeah, it's really nice to talk birth. It is, isn't it? Now, before we started recording, we have just been chinwagging, ranting, going on and on about birth. We've had to just stop all that, haven't we, and start the podcast recording because we could have carried on all day, couldn't we? I I think it's really nice when you connect with somebody and um, just a lot of the things that we've been through in our kind of journey as filmmakers, you've been through in doing what you've been doing. So it's just really nice and different areas of our lives are kind of connecting. It's good. So I originally got in touch with you, Tony, because somebody in one of the lovely Facebook groups I was on told me to check out your film, Microbirth. And so I thought, hey, wouldn't it be great to get you on the podcast? Because I'm sure there's so much stuff in that documentary that I think pregnant mamas need to be aware of. And and then you came back straight away and said, yes, I was so excited. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. I'd love it. I love, you know what, I just love, just awareness is, is spreading around the world and we started making microbirth 
probably three and a half years ago. And mm. we started just doing the research and starting talking to scientists and sort of seeing about this thing about the microbiome. Do your listeners know about the microbiome? Well, no. So I just say, yeah, before we dive into that, I mean, you know, microbirth, maybe it be, might be worth just telling them a little bit about what microbirth is all about and what microbiome is so that they know what you're talking about. Okay. So um, if I get a bit sciencey, just rein me back in again. <laughs> That's okay. So we, we as human beings are actually, um, we have a bacterial ecosystem within our body. And that bacterial ecosystem consists of bacteria, archaea, um, viruses, all these like trillions of microorganisms that live inside our body. And that's how it is every day of our life. We as human have uh, trillions of human cells and we have trillions of microbes. The ecosystem of microbes um, is your microbiome. And it's, it's, it's hot news at the moment. You're seeing it around every day. And your baby's microbiome is seeded the main seeding event for your baby's microbiome happens during the birth process so when you have a a natural birth the bacteria in the mother's birth canal gets transferred to the baby in the birth process when you have a vaginal birth so you know imagine You've got this, the baby grows up in a near sterile environment. There might be some exposure during during pregnancy. And that's, um, I mean, there's some research that there may be bacterial colonies present in the placenta and in the, in the womb. But the main seeding event happens in this birth process. So trillions of bacteria go into the baby's you know, mouth, ears, eyes, um, get squished into its skin. Um, and that, and those trillions of, of microbes start colonizing, start building and, and multiplying, and that seeds the baby's microbiome, and that sets the conditions for health for later life. With cesarean birth, um, the baby's microbiome is still seeded, but not necessarily with the mother, the beautiful special cocktail of bacteria that comes from the mother's birth canal. So C-section babies are still seeded, but their first bacteria that arrives in their baby's gut is coming from the skin of the operating theatre. Um, so the air of the operating theatre. So from the skin of someone in the operating theatre, which could be the mum or it could be the surgeon or it could be a midwife or it could be a nurse. And so it sets up the baby's... It gets, I mean, it gets quite sciencey. It sets up the baby's microbiome differently. And scientists are, are hypothesising this could be why babies born by C-section are more prone to developing um, later life health conditions, like um, more prone to asthma, type 1 diabetes, celiac disease. Even there's research connecting with, there's 20% increased risk of of babies born by C-section being obese later in life. So we're looking at, so that's what microbirth looked at, is looking at the latest science about the seeding, and then there's the feeding process. So how um, breastfeeding is the perfect complement that helps to uh, feed the microbes that have just arrived in the baby's gut. So it's like a perfect system. And oh, I could talk about this forever. Cause it's just, <laughs> I, I just love it. It's just this perfect like natural system that could be being interfered with right now by things that are happening in the birth process. Mm. So basically, when we 
I, I've studied uh, in my in a previous life. I worked with digestive products and, and understanding the gut system. And, and really, your gut, the bacteria balance in your gut is when you have problems with your gut bacteria. That's where a lot of health problems do come from. And a lot of people that are stressed, for example, that will just disrupt the gut. And that's where a lot of issues do come about health-wise. So you know, by identifying the fact that the gut bacteria or the bacteria, almost like the blueprint for that health for the child, starts at that moment in birth, just makes you realise how important that birth moment is and how we really do need to strive for that natural birth as much as possible don't we because of the disruption that can happen if there's anything else that happens during birth c-section is amazing it's mm. life-saving and uh, when it's needed absolutely brilliant because um, many babies are alive today that wouldn't have been alive if, if we hadn't had um, c-section However, the latest science is indicating that the best way to seed um, and feed a baby's microbiome from birth um, is through natural birth where possible, mm-hmm. um, through immediate skin to skin and breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And for some mothers, that might not be possible mm-hmm. and great. I mean, there's things you can do after, afterwards. I mean, there's a swab seeding technique, for, for, which is just being researched right now for, for C-section babies. And there's other things you can do kind of after the baby's born to help restore the baby's microbiome. But you're right. You're absolutely right. There's, the latest research is indicating there's a, um, there's a really strong connection between it's, it's the gut-brain access, axis. So what happens in your gut, the microbes in your gut are connected to what happens in your brain. So scientists are starting to link um, conditions like, um, like like moods and you know stress, anxiety, even depression, mm. to what happens in your gut. There's also some research which which links conditions um, like Parkinson's and MS and um, maybe um, Alzheimer's with a dis- what's called dysbiosis, so where your your gut bacteria is is unbalanced. So it's exciting. So if we can set it right, if we can set a baby's gut microbiome right from birth and that could start during pregnancy in fact because you've got to like protect the baby's um, the mother's microbiome because that's what's going to be passed on to her baby mm. during the birth process so if we, can, if we can protect it as much as we can that could revolutionize healthcare mm. for life so what we, I mean, just to sort of take this into something that maybe people are familiar with, in case we have lost anybody with the science, um, <laughs> is basically this is live bacteria, probiotics, Yakult, that kind of thing. All those kind of live bacteria, all those good yogurt drinks that you see that say, oh, it's got all this bifidus and all those long words that kind of nobody can pronounce. This is what we're talking about. So I guess for a mum who's pregnant, so this is, you know, a lot of listeners to my show are currently pregnant. One thing they can do now is start taking probiotics, which is going to be products like that, isn't it? To help them boost their good, the good balance of bacteria in their gut. Is that right? I mean, it's it's difficult because um, so there's some products which are great, and there's some there's some products which might not work. I mean, mm. the best thing a, maybe a pregnant mother could do is to eat a diverse range of food, fruit, and vegetables during um, when she's pregnant, and um, so no processed meats, but you know, kind of good quality meats, good mm. quality vegetables, good quality, um, what well, lots of multicolored vegetables. So mm. diversity is is key. I mean, there's 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 some research that that eating fermented foods might be beneficial, and yeah, there some you're taking some probiotics, but it's for it's to raise. I think it's for every mum to start looking into what doing her own research in into what could mm. be good for her. I mean, the the thing is, everyone's microbiome is different, 
So every single person has a different microbial makeup. So they have different species of um, bacteria in their gut. So there's no one size fits all type mm. approach. It's kind of some 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 mothers guts might might have certain species of bacteria and other mother's guts might have other species of bacteria mm. so it's difficult because it's it's and and the research is quite an early stage but yeah definitely if we can heal the mother's gut so for pregnant mothers to give birth to vaginally where possible to um, a baby and for that that baby's microbiome to be seeded as optimally as possible supported by skin to skin and breastfeeding that could set up the baby for the rest of its life mm. now one of the interesting things in the documentary about the breastfeeding thing that i re- i picked up on that i found was super interesting was that there was some is it there's some sugars in breastfeeding in, in milk mother's milk that scientists weren't very sure why they were there and actually they're they're made up of fructooligosaccharides which is a good food for bacteria and so now the thinking is that maybe the fructooligosaccharides in the breast milk is actually there to help that bacteria to flourish and to grow and to really take root in the body and that when I learned I was like oh wow that's just so great you know the way that our body has been designed to do this we've been designed to birth our baby and to grow a beautiful healthy being and everything has been put in place to support that and breastfeeding has got yes we know there's all the nutrients in breastfeeding but the fact that the breast milk is part of that microbiome piece is also just sort of reinforces how important this is as part of baby's development doesn't it yeah i mean there's you know breast milk is uh, an amazing um, fantastic uh substance i mean it's, it's really really complex so you've got like food for the baby so all the kind of the, the nutritional requirements the baby needs but then it's got these um it's got it's unique species of bacteria in breast milk as well as well so there's other breast milk there's immune components which all adds to the kind of development of the immune system plus you've got these oligosaccharides which are indigestible sugars so indigestible by the baby but they're digestible by the baby's microbes so these are the oligosaccharides. Oh, the oligo, not the fructose. Yeah, my mistake. Not fructose oligo, just oligosaccharides. Just, just yeah, oligosaccharides. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're um, they're like prebiotic. So they are kind of um, digestible by the baby's microbes, which encourages those particular microbes to flourish. So so the good bacteria they kind of grow and, and take hold within the within the the baby's gut. Um, which prevents the pathogens, the nasty bacteria, from taking hold. Mm. So it's, it's so you've got this beautiful system. So the the later science is indicating that um, the bacteria to arrive in the baby's gut arrives in a certain set of um, that scientists are hypothesizing. It's supposed to arrive in a certain order. So the first the first bacteria to arrive are supposed to be from the mother's vagina. Mm. Then the, there's other bacteria that are supposed to arrive from breast milk and then there's other bacteria that are supposed to arrive from being exposed to just you know someone's house or to, from skin to skin so this this order this is what scientists are hypothesizing that that this order if you can if you can support a mother to have that bacteria delivered to her baby in that certain order that helps train the immune system and which the consequences will last for life so it helps um it gives the baby the strongest possible immune system so it's so uh it's just a beautiful system i mean yeah, you yeah. know so um for mothers that can't breastfeed for whatever reason 
I mean, I'm sure the, the you know, formula milk companies are, are doing whatever they can to, to replicate this. But at the moment, the, um, there isn't a natural substitute for mm. breast milk that has all these fantastic prebiotics and probiotics and um, immune components mm. that breast milk does. Mm. So just to, just in case anybody's not sure, we'll just zoom on the difference between prebiotic and probiotic. Okay. Probiotic is the good bacteria, isn't it? Yeah. And prebiotic is the stuff that feeds the good bacteria. So if you want to boost your good bacteria levels, you take prebiotic, which is their yummy food that helps them multiply. And if you just want to shortcut that and go straight into putting good bacteria and you go for probiotic, is that right? Yeah, so so your probiotics are, um, uh, you're, you're kind of, I, I don't want to go into brand names, but you no, know, yeah. the, the, the substances that you can buy from yeah. different shops or health food shops. Um, but your prebiotics, you can eat things like um, onions are, are prebiotic, ga- uh, garlic, uh, fibrous foods. So it's, it's foods that are, are difficult to digest with high fiber. And that high, f- that, that fiber content feeds the bacteria. So things like, um, I think, um, asparagus and artichokes, um, just stuff which is quite difficult for us to eat. Uh, celery, you know, um, raspberries have a high fiber content. Ah. So uh, these are things that give that make you trump, don't they? Or make yes. you give win. Yes. <laughs> um, and and I, I just want to share a little story. When I was um, in in a previous life, I developed a whole range of digestive products for a, a well known high street chemist here in the UK. And and I was responsible as the person that was developing everything to test them. And we developed a whole range of um, little sweet. Well, they were I called them sweets, and they were like fructoligosaccharide sweets. So basically, you could just they were so delicious. And you could eat them and they would basically restore the balance in your gut. And they looked like a really large pack of mints, you know, like tree bore mints, which I don't know if that brand is still around today, but massive. And I, I would test these and basically with you take them for about two days and all you would do for the first two days would just fart like a trooper. <laughs> but after that, your gut, you suddenly, I noticed my skin. I just felt more energized. Suddenly, the minute my kind of gut started getting more balanced, the whole you know, wind would die down significantly. And then I just felt so much better. And unfortunately, we never got these to market. And I was like, God, that would have been such a great product. And unfortunately, the buyer's concern just didn't fully appreciate the value of digestive products way back then. So yeah, it still hasn't seen the light of day, which is such a shame because they would have had such a great marketing campaign if they'd gone for that one. <laughs> I, I, I just think this this whole area of, about the microbiome, the more that kind of research is being done and the more... Um, just people start becoming aware of, mm. of what foods they can eat. And I, I wish that product was still <laughs> yeah. um, I'd be chomping away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we do things yummy. like, I don't know if you do, but we, we make our own kefir. So we make our own, you know, fermented foods, which is just oh. really easy. It's just like ma- making your own yogurt. So tell me, just tell me, how do you do that? Because I'm sure somebody oh. listening would long to know how you do yeah. that. Right, so this is it. Okay, so sh- Tony is showing me what looks like a, bottle of yogurt yeah that's it so yeah. this is my my kefir okay so you it's like um i don't know if you've ever made yogurt um, when i was a kid i made made yogurt so you had a kind of yogurt maker yeah i've got so yogurt you maker. take kind of you know three tablespoons off the top of that yeah add milk leave it for 24 hours and that's it oh so it's, just, it's just yogurt it's just it's kind of it's not yogurt because it's got um fermented strain so it's okay. got a uh, kind of probiotic strains inside so certain um i can't remember which which ones but but really good 
strains of bacteria that are good for your your gut to, to, to keep the kind of the balance of your gut it's all about balance like, yeah, yeah so where do you get the original strain from then you... oh we just bought it uh, over the internet it's still sassoes and you start it off right. it's really really simple it's, it was a christmas present actually oh. and, and uh, but now we've kind of we've because you just keep on making it it's like this coming out like my, my fridge is full of it but I, but I just give it um I give it to my my friends and family so I just go right take this start taking this and it's amazing and, I'm gonna start uh, doing that I'm gonna start doing that because I'm making my own at the moment I'm just not sure I've got the right strain that kicked it all off so I've got to buy you can buy just means- put in so k-e-f-i-r k-e-f okay Right. Did um, it, has everybody got that? Has everybody got that? Yeah, K E F I R. And you just buy. I mean, we bought the strain. We bought five packs over the internet, um, and we've only used the first pack. We're still on the first pack because it just keeps on going. Yeah. Oh, and uh, if you go away for a few days, you just put it in the fridge, and it doesn't. Nothing happens. And then it's because it responds to heat and temperature. I mean, there's no apart from a little bit of wind. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's no side effects because it's just uh, it's just like eating yogurt. Mm. And so this is also really good. Like if you've taken a lot of antibiotics in your life, this is really yes. good because antibiotics destroy the balance of good bacteria. So this is why it's so bad to give little ones under year under a year old antibiotics because it really just destroys this immune setup, the bacterial setup that um, that's so important. So you know if 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 you as a mum has had this uh, pregnant mum has had lots of antibiotics, then this is really great to help you get back into balance anyway. Taking this kind of stuff, isn't it? I think scientists are, are really looking at the the connection between um, the taking of antibiotics either during pregnancy or, or after a baby's born. So the first sort of two years of life, um, because the microbiome settles around the age of two to three. Mm. So any antibiotics the baby is exposed to before that time really knocks their, their microbiome out of balance um, or has the potential to, mm. which means that uh, anything you can do to restore your baby's microbiome could have health benefits later on. So there's a, there's a, there's a link between babies being exposed to antibiotics during that kind of early life period and increased risk of, say, asthma or other allergies. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, anything you can do to mm. restore the baby's microbiome could be beneficial in the future. So I'm thinking, because one of the other reasons I got in touch with you originally was because I had questions around my own um, second birth and my own second birth. My baby was born in the amniotic sac on call. So when I was reading a lot around this bacterial seeding, I was thinking, well, hang on a minute. If babies born by C-section are missing out on this because they didn't get that bacteria from the birth canal, how does that affect a baby born with the amniotic sac? Because that would mean that they don't get that bacteria too. Is that right? Okay, there's been no research anywhere in the world about this. So all I can say is like pure supposition. So this is just, you know, a best guess based on. So within the the amniotic sac, it's near sterile. It's not completely sterile. There's there's, um, traces of small colonies of bacterial species have been found. As soon as the amniotic sac opens, and normally this happens during the birth process, but Mm. if a baby is born um, with the amniotic sac still intact, as soon as that amniotic sac is is split apart, bacteria rushes in. So it's like a flood of of bacteria all around us, every day around the world, um, flood in. So, and during the birth process, I don't know where your where your baby was born or how it was born. Yeah, in, in my lounge, which probably isn't as clean as it should be. No, no, no <laughs> but just whether you know. So it could be that 
for want of a better word, your vaginal juices, yeah. which are full of your kind of good bacteria, could have been spread over your tummy and over your like yeah, legs yeah. and stuff. You're, that's the whole point of this. And also, this might sound gross, but it's actually really good. Your, your fecal yeah, microbiota, yeah. so your um, bacteria in your poo, yeah. that's all good, right? Mm. So there's no, there's no dirtiness. Mm. So there might have been some, you might have had a little poo during yeah. the birth process yeah. that might have mixed with the with the um vaginal fluids which is kind of spread all over your abdomen and your legs and as soon as the baby so as the baby's born into that and the sack is opened depending where the sack was opened yeah that as soon as that if it's in the same sort of area your baby would have been exposed to that yeah. bacteria mm. but if it's you know first when babies are first born they tend to lick and nuzzle and whatever mm. and if they're licking and nuzzling and suckling in that area where you've got all that vaginal juices and your fecal matter mm. then that's all good that's all sort of seeding the baby's microbiome mm. I mean, but it, i mean it's difficult to know for sure because yeah. there's yeah. been very little research so that's pure supposition mm. i mean whereas the difference between that and say um, a C-section is a C-section is the baby's kind of taken from from your abdomen, mm. and there's no absolutely no exposure to your vaginal juices and your yeah. your your fecal matter at all. It's like taken away in sterile environment. So I don't know. It might be that your baby would have had exactly the same exposures, or it might be that maybe only partially exposed. Mm. Until more research is done in this area, um, which there needs to be loads more research into it. I mean, questions like um, water birth. Mm. So again, it's been very, very little research done on the microbial exposure for babies born in water and what difference it makes to the kind of the, the, the seeding and feeding process. Mm. So I don't know. No we one just, knows. We just don't so, know. So within the next, you know, five, ten years, when researchers start looking into this, then we'll have more answers. Mm. I mean, water birth is amazing. It's fantastic benefits for, for a mother. I mean, it's all um, in terms of pain relief, in terms of comfort, in terms of getting a mother off her back and mm. into a more, um, uh, some just more active position, which helps the birth process. Mm. But then the baby going through the vagina, the, the birth canal will p- picking up a lot of stuff through the birth canal anyway, won't they? Yeah, in those situations. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, so then we go back to the importance of skin to skin and then breastfeeding. Yeah. So really there's sort of several, you know, like you mentioned, there's the whole bacteria where the mum is pregnant and there's the vaginal birth and then there's skin to skin and then there's breastfeeding. So there's kind of, and then there's resisting bacteria, antibiotics in their first years or topping up. So there's kind of several frontiers, I guess, in the whole battle for good bacteria for babies, aren't there? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So it's kind of, there's lots that, I mean, there's, you know, lots more research that needs to be done, but the the earliest indications are that, yes, a mother can do things actively can do things to help her baby's microbiome for the for the the baby's lifelong health so like mm. you say kind of protected doing whatever they can um, for a pregnant mother during pregnancy to protect their microbiome during the birth process so vaginal birth where possible skin to skin breastfeeding mm. within those first two three years to I mean things like um antibacterial products i mean the you know antibacterial yeah. products and they're meant to be really bad. Triclosan has got really bad stuff in it, apparently. Shouldn't, I'm, I'm going to get rid of all antibacterial products out of my house once I've read the research on that. It's awful. But I mean, there are. I mean, there are undoubtedly. I mean, there's pathogens. I mean, things like um, E. coli or something, you know, you wouldn't mm. touch a, a raw chicken and then touch a baby. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's obviously... Um, I mean, there has to be some, some, some sort of level. So not all bacteria are good bacteria. I mean, mm. there's a very... You know, the vast majority are are beneficial or at least harmless to humans 
but there are certain bacteria that are but are can be harmful to to humans so it's kind of having a balance like everything mm. it's like having a balance in your gut having balance in your life and mm. um, mm. i mean the you know the research has indicated that you know this we've been you know human beings have been brought, brought up being dirty to you know to be exposed to to fecal matter to poo during the birth process to babies you know sort of in our evolution to babies crawling around in mud to being exposed to dirt that's all part of kind of getting kind of exposure to microbes mm. and i think within western civilizations at least we're so used to our our children being super clean and you know using antibacterial products and uh making sure everything's hygienic and everything else and yes there's a value to that but at the same time get that baby get that yeah. baby in that yeah I mean, rolling around in the mud <clears throat> I love the idea, you know, also a lot of women, one of the big fears around birth is this idea of letting go, losing control and pooing everywhere. And so I love the idea of just reframing that. It's like, actually, you want to do that because this is going to help your baby. Don't fear it. Don't fear something that your body is doing that A, it needs to make room for the baby coming through. So it's going to like clear the way anyway. So just let it. Don't be worried about it. And if it does, it's a good thing. So bring it on, you know, just trying to like look at it differently. Embrace the poo, as it were, you know, like don't worry about shit like that. Excuse my language. <laughs> because you need it. Your baby needs it. And I love that you've highlighted that because I think a lot of women are scared of letting go and, and pooing everywhere and that can just totally make them feel a whole lot better about it and in fact make them want to do it in a way because they know it's good for their baby so thank you tony for shedding the light on poo well it's funny because um within microbirth we didn't mention poo we had this whole conversation with myself and my, my partner alex about kind of whether we include kind of fecal matter or whether it would be too not shocking but that we just couldn't we, we kind of opted out of not mentioning we just sort of talked about the kind of the vaginal birth process now written a book just based on it and we've gone much more into poo we've oh, right. the poo. <laughs> brilliant um and that's the whole the whole thing is is that we need to just be less obsessed with cleanliness in a way mm. and and just embrace that poo and just that boo- you know there's a reason why the the vagina and the anus is so close together yeah during the birth process you know it's it's kind of the babies are supposed to get exposed to on their way out yeah 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 no that's brilliant so just knowing that you know suddenly that i just know that so many women that i've worked with have got that fear and if you know just knowing that i'm sure it's going to help them so that is just going to be a huge thing i think for women that have got lots of fears around birth so thank you thank you for that now um we've talked a lot about the microbiome and stuff but you've done loads of other films on birth haven't you because when i was doing the research i was like geez i'm gonna have to put i haven't got time to watch all your films there's so much so just tell us a little bit more about some of the other stuff that you've done around birth um, we made a film uh, about doulas. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of doulas because um, I think midwives are amazing and do a fantastic job. Um, but sometimes they don't have the time to have like one-to-one care for a woman all the way during kind of the birth process. And I think, um, especially kind of in hospitals where you know, some midwives are looking after, you know, six or eight women all at the same time. So doulas, which are, you know, professional birth companions who don't do anything medical at all, but just provide some practical and emotional support to a mother. Anyway, so we made a film following three birth doulas called Doula, 
a very original title, <laughs> which was lovely. And that was our kind of first introduction to the kind of the birth world, really. And mm. then we made another film looking at um, the issue of human rights in childbirth. And that was oh. called uh, Freedom for Birth. So we're looking at uh, what's the, how can women's rights in childbirth be respected? And uh, and what's the legal position? So we followed... Um, the, one of the main stories in the film was um, a Hungarian midwife called Agnes Gerib, who was, um, she she supports home birth in, in Hungary. And uh, she was arrested and imprisoned. And uh, one of the mothers she supported, because um, cause, um, home birth in Hungary isn't support, um, is... Not legal. It's not legal. Well, it's not, if you, it's not illegal to have a home birth, but it's illegal for a midwife to support a woman giving birth at home. Crazy. So it's a bit sort of tr- tricky, the kind of language. Mm. Anyway, so a, a mother she supported um, called Anna Tonovsky took her took Hungary to the European Court of Human Rights and won. Wow. She won this landmark case, which now gives every mother in Europe the right to choose the circumstances of her birth. That means she has, every, every mother in Europe has the legal right to choose how and where she gives birth provided that the um, the maternity system can support her needs. There's a little bit of kind of wriggle room, mm-hmm. but um, but it's something we're passionate about because I, I, everything we've, we've done is all about informing women, mm-hmm. giving women full informed choice as to what, what they can or could do during the birth process because it's such an important moment. You know, so pregnancy and birth and that kind of ne- neonatal period kind of you know, after baby's born – that sets up, okay, so our last film, Microbirth, looked at, you know, health throughout life, but it's emotional attachments, it's your kind of, new, there's research about neural development, you know, it's, it's such an exciting, beautiful, fantastic, magical moment. Yeah. Yeah, that, no, that, I, that, that freedom to birth, I was just reading a little bit about it, and that's when I definitely want to watch, is, you know, there's so many women that experience traumatic births or difficult birth experiences that a lot of the time is down to maybe the way they were treated, the fact they maybe weren't aware, fully aware of their rights and allowed, you know, just basically the doctor said do this and they did, rather than sort of question and, and know that they could question because they just presume maybe that doctors know what they're doing, are doing things for the right reasons rather than because it's better for the system to operate in a more efficient manner or whatever it is, you know. And so just so that women can understand their rights in birth and know that they can say no and know that they can claim that power back and own it, you know, I think that's just such a huge thing can really help a lot of women avoid maybe traumatic birth experiences. What do you think? I think one of the my biggest bugwares, and I might go on a bit of a rant. Okay, rant alert. That's okay. Go for it. Go for it. A little bit of a rant. (laughs) And one of my biggest bugbears is um, when you when I hear a woman saying, "Am I allowed to do something? Am I allowed to go past forty weeks? Am I allowed to have a a vaginal breech baby?" So, (laughs) (laughs) um, it's your body, your baby. Absolutely. You've got every right to full informed choice. That means you've got a right to being given all the information that's that's available right now on, on all the different topics. And um, it's up to the medical provi- providers, whether that's your midwife or a doctor, to explain your choices and to give you choice. It's not a case of um, you being allowed or not allowed. It's like you 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 have the right to make your own decisions to say no or to ask if there's another way if if um, a woman is if she's under pressure to be induced say 
she could say to her healthcare provider, what are the other options? What else can be done? What, what, what natural ways can I try? Same for, um, uh, you know, so some women do want to give birth on their back. That's, that's, that, that's again their choice. But actually getting, the, the, I, I was shocked recently that the number of women giving birth in stirrups in hospitals has gone up. No. Has gone up. No. So the latest, so within the UK, the number of women given, I think it's that 22% of women give birth in, at, in hospitals in stirrups. 22%? I think it's 22%. So the oh latest my months, goodness. The, the latest research, which was published, I think it came out in December. Um, check me on that because I'm, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's shocking. That is shocking. That, that's, that's not for the, for the, you know, for the, the experience of the woman. I mean, sure, there must be a percentage where, where it's necessary and absolutely great. But the fact it's gone up. So women are laying on their backs to give birth, which is against the whole kind of biology. Mm. Yes. That makes I, me so... I, I, did a, I, did a whole, um, I did a whole blog post on the whole giving birth on the back thing. And I, I was amazed, you know, like the reasons, like the only reason that you get put on your back in the hospital is so the doctors can better carry out the tests and the examinations to potentially prevent the things that they're trying to help you with. But actually, they're more likely to encourage those things from happening. I think they, it closes the pelvic opening by about 20 to 30 percent. It restricts blood vessels. It means baby's got to work uphill so you go against gravity. It's more likely to be painful. It's going to mean that labour's longer. I mean, my goodness, when you look at it like that, you think it shouldn't be done ever. And yet why do we see birth on the back happen so much within a hospital environment? It seems to me like, and I might be going on right now, but the, there's so much evidence that we know that what supports a great birth, what can support a really positive birth for mum and baby. And yet a lot of that is just completely thrown out the window in a medical birthing environment. And that kind of infuriates me because we know better. You know, some of this research came out in the 30s and the 40s about what's great for birth. And why isn't this happening in hospitals today? It kind of really, really annoys me. But anyway, hopefully this podcast will go some way to educate women about this. So they can stand up for their rights and really claim the birth that they want and get the birth that means it's going to be positive for them and their baby. Because as you and I both know, we're really passionate about the whole birth moment and how it can impact much broader. You know, this isn't just the birth. This is about bonding between mum and baby, isn't it? This is about the whole family life, the health of that baby throughout their adult life, what diseases they may or may not get. And we don't want to, like, make mum feel guilty here. I mean, that's the last thing you want to do is make mum think, oh, my goodness, I've got all this hanging over my head. <laughs> but, you know, having a baby is, is a big responsibility. We've got to kind of take that on board and, and own it and kind of, you know, be proud that we've got this potential to create such an amazing life for somebody and not to mess it up, really, you know. It doesn't have to be confrontational. It doesn't have to no. be... You know, so a, a mother saying, "I demand that I'm not put on my back," but it's just it's just kind of em empowering women to say, "Is there another? You know, what else yeah. can I try?" Mm -hmm. As to and, and not necessarily be just told, be in that position where you're told what to do. I mean, sometimes it's emergency situation, absolutely, mm -hmm. but other times it's just it's it's for the ease of other people, not necessarily mm -hmm. for the for the for the betterment of mm. the mother and the baby mm, mm, absolutely and, uh, so uh yeah and i think it's it's kind of educating women but not in a kind of um patronizing way but it's just to say okay this this is what the research is showing this is what what, what you can try during your your pregnancy and birth mm. 
And uh, come on, let's do this. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about research is that, you know, we're now kind of fighting for research to show, for example, you know, if, if you for people that do watch Microbirth, we'll see that, you know, there's a lot of people calling for money to be allocated to research so that we understand the microbiome situation much better so we can impact, you know, have make, make a difference within the birth situation. But what we haven't ever done really is show that, the, the, done the scientific research that's led to how medicalized birth is happening today so we're kind of backtracking a bit aren't we we're sort of doing the science to revert back to a more natural way of doing like how nature's always done it rather than doing the evidence searching for the evidence before instilling this medical approach to birth that that evidence is sort of quite light on the ground isn't it really it feels a little bit wrong that we're, that we're having to backtrack in this way I think, um, I mean, there's some, you know, like I was sort of saying before, there's some innovations which are fantastic. So, so um, caesareans, when it's necessary, uh, I mean, all, all the interventions have their place, whether that's synthetic oxytocin or induction or, um, or C-section, you know, or mm. breaking of waters, they all have their place. And there are certain situations where they are needed mm. and, it, and that's great. Um, and research indicators, yes, that, that there's needed. But there's a whole kind of grey area where actually there many many interventions are, are performed routinely, and there's a thing called like cascade of interventions mm. where if a, um, an intervention I'm sure you, you've brought about this, but an intervention is done early on that leads to you know say the uh, the labour stalling, which means that you know then you're needing to kind of use more synthetic oxytocin to augment the labour, which means that you're you, it kind of sets you up for more interventions. And so this, there's, there's been very little research into, into the long-term effects of what happens during birth. So, so there's been, what, what you're, just coming back to what you were saying, there's been research into the short-term effects. So um, for short-term effects of, of various interventions, whether that's yeah, synthetic oxytocin or whatever, short-term effects is fine. Long-term effects on the baby, very, very little research. Mm. And that re- research, and because it hasn't been done now, even if you started now, could be 10, 20 years in the future that you might find results. And that's what's quite, the, say, for our scientists in our film and from our, our book too, but just are saying this, that's why, where potentially this, the long-term consequences of things done in birth on the long-term health of the baby, whether that's on the physical health or the mental health of the baby. So if neural pathways aren't, aren't, aren't observed at the beginning, or if um, uh, just the, this relationship between the microbiome, uh, okay, epigenetics. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to say epigenetics. Oh, we've talked about epigenetics on the show already. We talked oh, okay. about epigenetics. So yeah, you can use that word. We, we've, okay. we, we've been there, got the t-shirt. Okay, so there's, there's potential for, I mean, this might be a bit kind of uh, out there, but just in terms of there's, there's, there's a, the hypothesis that things that happen during the birth process could have long-term effects on the baby. So they change the um, switching on or switching off of genes. Mm. So not only does it might affect the, the, the baby's lifelong health, it might affect that baby's children mm. and their children. So potentially epigenetic effects could affect 100 years into the future. So what happens now could, could impact future generations mm. but we don't know no. because they haven't done the research into it and and i mean i've, I've, I've got a huge like another of my kind of bees bear you know bugbears is like why aren't we demanding this research is done mm. why aren't we uh why aren't 
mothers kind of almost writing to starting a campaign to get more research done yeah oh hang on a minute i'll just make a note of that (laughs) just you know that that why i you know i'd want to know if i was pregnant right now i'd want to know the long-term effects of Mm. use of synthetic synthetic oxytocin and what's the maximum dosage because researchers that we've spoken to they were saying that um uh, say use of synthetic oxytocin so branded syntocin on here in the uk there's a there's a narrow window where it's effective. If you go above that window um, of, of dosage, that that could have an important. I mean, they've shown in animal studies it has an impact. Mm. They don't know about humans because mm. no one's researched it. Mm. But on animal studies, there's an impact. There's negative mm. health outcome impact. And we say there's no research, but we, we you know if I I don't know if anybody's looked at the, you know the introduction of more medicalized uh, approaches used within birth. And, that, you know, a lot of that started in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. It really started get, uh, going. And now you just look at population, what's happening to the rise of cancers, the rise of obesity, the rise of diabetes, all this. And is this not the impact of what's happening in birth? Are we not seeing that across the whole population? Big question mark. We'll never know. You know, why why are populations becoming so sick? Is it because of the lack of balance within the gut and bacteria? Is it because of the changing of the way that we birth our children? You know, this is, you know, yes, there's no evidence, but you kind of think, well, are we not just staring at it in the face? And uh, we don't, I know we don't know the answer to that, so I don't expect you to give me an answer either, Tony. It's a too big a question. I don't expect you to put your name to a comment. But, you know, it is, I can't help but think we kind of know the answer, really, but nobody's willing to kind of put their neck out and say, you know, we really need to pull back on some of these practices because look at what's happening to the world. And I think we've we've known a lot of the things that we we've known is just what you you were talking about earlier that that yeah giving birth naturally um, and for the baby to be you know squeezed through the birth canal that's a positive what the scientists are believing is a eustress so positive like beneficial stress to be squeezed through the birth canal that kickstarts the kind of hormonal release and kickstarts kind of epigenetic potentially kickstarts epigenetic changes and that that are needed for the for the baby so you know so we've kind of known we know within us that give birth naturally and skin to skin and breastfeeding is probably the best thing for the baby we kind of instinctively know that yeah yeah and we've kind of lost that that trust in our bodies and absolutely the medical interventions are fantastic and goodness they're great that we've got them because certain situations where things mm. don't go right yeah. yes you they're need valid. them yeah they're valid but it's this the root it's the use of doing them routinely without the need that is the big the big question mark the big kind of area of concern isn't it and i'm going to start wrapping things up now because we could talk about this all day <laughs> couldn't we tony um now um now you mentioned a book. You've got a book coming out. So tell us about the book. Uh, I love it. <laughs> it's called it's called the microbiome effect. And um, with a film, so with microbirth, you can only paint in broad brushstrokes. You can yeah. only sort of say, okay, these. It's a sixty minute film. You can only talk about kind of just the ideas of things. So um, you know, ninety five percent of the content we filmed from microbirth is sitting in hard drives to hard drives in our cupboard. So, with a book, we yeah. can unleash the detail. We can unleash Brilliant. the actual kind of the the information that's, um, and we go into everything in much more. So it's um, it's a science book looking at um, the impact of the microbiome and epigenetics during pregnancy. Well, a little bit on pregnancy, but mostly during the birth process and the long term outcomes. I mean, we're asking what are the 
the long-term effects of what happens during childbirth today? Mm. That's the kind of general question. Wow. So that's going to be super, super interesting. So I'm sure that people, if you've listened to, if you've enjoyed listening to this chat, I reckon people are going to want to get hold of that book. So um, now where can they find out more about you online? Where can they find the book? Where can they find you? Ah, la, la, all that stuff. Twitter, oh, yeah, all the, awesome. all the links. <laughs> okay, so um, look up, uh, Google, The Microbiome Effect. Uh, so that's a book and it's published by Pinter and Marta, Martin and out in April. There is uh, The Microbirth. Go to microbirth.com and you can uh, watch it on video on demand or you can buy a DVD. Uh, we're on Facebook, so just search Microbirth Movie. Um, we're also The Microbiome Effect is on Facebook. We have a, we started a kind of an organization of kind of um, called One World Birth. So that's like our umbrella name for everything we do um, around birth. So we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Okay. So um, just, just if you're interested in this stuff, just send me a message and. Um, Which is what I'll, I did. That's what I did. And here we are having a chat. So yeah, yeah just email exactly. it. Just kind of, it. It works. It works. Because I, I think it's, um, it's all in, I, I kind of want to give everybody this knowledge for, and them to tell their friends and then to tell their friends so that um, I've got this thing. So change happens at the top or change happens at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So change happens at the top with the, the policy makers and the hospital managers and, you know, politicians making changes and deciding what, how we should live our life. Change happens at the bottom by people like you and me and by the audience members, by just mm-hmm. engaging with this information and spreading it around to people and engaging with the scientists Mm. And, you know, that that generates kind of circles of conversation that spreads wider and spreads wider till we hit a tipping point And that's when change happens. Yeah. yeah. So that's where we're at. This grassroots kind of movement stuff. Good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Tony, for joining me on the show today. Really appreciate it. And I'm sure that people listening to the show are really going to want to dive in and check out the birth, read the book, because I'm certainly going to want to be able to after read, watch the film. I'm going to want to read that book, too. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I love what you're doing. I think it's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I hope you enjoyed listening to Tony sharing all that good stuff about birth, about the microbiome, bacteria and all the other things we talked about. I think one of my favourite parts of the conversation is about reframing the poo, being positive about poo in birth. I think that's just so powerful and important. And we might joke about it, but it's a serious issue. Certainly with the women I come across when I work with, they're really fearful about that aspect of birth. So I think if we can think about that differently, it can really, really help. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, there's a new private Facebook group for listeners of the podcast. And Tony will be jumping into the group for a chat, taking your questions and basically answering anything that you might have about any of her films, but probably the microbirth, the microbiome, the book. So we're going to be putting a date in for that chat. So you have to stay tuned, sign up, join the group so that you can stay tuned as to where we are. She's in the middle of a whirlwind tour right now, promoting the books. It's just come out. So I'm speaking to her next week and we'll have a date then. So stay tuned and then you can ask Tony anything you like in the Facebook group. Okay, thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in. You've just been listening to author and birth coach Alexia Leachman from the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like to show your support for Alexia and the podcast, you can become a friend of the show and receive even more exclusive content. Visit www.fearfreechildbirth.com and become a friend today. Until next time.